You know, I think uh, one of the more shocking stories, um, I hope you notice this, that when, when the Coptic Egyptian um, Christians were lined up there, did you guys notice anything about that lineup of people? Because you guys are revelation experts, so I hope that you're starting to notice this now. Guess how many of them there were? 21. Accidental? Not at all. There's your three. There's your seven. And uh, so you've actually literally got in front of you a lineup of people that in, in a calculated and satanic way represent what the evil is trying to do. We will cut off the head of those who follow Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Islam stands against those who pr proclaim a trinity. And we will cut off the head of those who proclaim, whose number is that? Jesus as their Savior. So you have 21 people there very intentionally to make a statement to the world. How many of you think people notice that when they watch the news? Probably not a soul. God notice it? Absolutely. It's just incredible to me how this plays out over and over and over again in history. Today we're going to go to Smyrna. So we're in uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Let me tell you just a little bit about Smyrna. It's uh, located today in what we would call modern Turkey. And uh, I don't know, how many of you ever been to Turkey? You guys ever, ever been? It's, I'll tell you what, it's be beautiful water there. I mean, when you get out and you look at the... Uh, they call it the Terranian Sea, the Mediterranean, just the, the depth of blue there. It's a beautiful place. But then you go into Turkey, and it's, it's just become such a, a, an Islamic culture, right? And uh, if, if you don't know this, for females particularly, uh, females are, are pretty much objects, right, to be used by men. And you just see that in the culture and the way that they, they treat you. Uh, when we went to Ephesus, uh, we walked through a town where, you know, they promised us that the, the men of the town were going to try to get the ladies into their shops to buy um, rugs for their homes, right? Like ten or $20,000 rugs for their homes. And I'm like, I'm out. I'm a preacher man. I'm out. We're not, we're not going into any of those. But the pressure that they put upon you. You go back and, and to to Smyrna, and you can kind of see the land and, and think about how beautiful it was. Smyrna was a, a place where they had a couple of things that kind of <laughs> stood out. One, they had a temple that was dedicated to the Dea Roma, which would be the, uh, uh, the goddess of Rome. And likewise, uh, if you went into modern day, or excuse me, ancient day Smyrna, you would see a temple dedicated to Tiberius. Okay? Tiberius is one of those Greek names that we become familiar with. And we become familiar with through modern pop culture, right? So we have Captain James T. Kirk, who is the captain of the Enterprise, right? And the T in his name is Captain James Tiberius Kirk. Kind of goes back to history. If you look at history, Tiberius was not a good man, all right? He was a pedophile. And uh, what he was best known for is... Uh, Many days of the week, he would actually employ people to go out and find little boys. And uh, the little boys would be invited up. His, his temple was up on a hill. They'd be invited to his home. And uh, they would be invited to swim with him in his swimming pool. And, uh, of course, he would take off all of his, his garments and dive into the pool. And he would take the garments off the little boys. And their job was, act was actually to swim up underneath him and to kiss his parts while he would swim and then when he was done with the little boys he would take them and push them over a hill and kill them and uh, that was his his weekly 
uh, way of life. And so when you hear the name Tiberius, you're, you're literally looking at a guy who demanded worship. We're in that era where emperor worship is required, but who is, is a person that is as sick as any human being that's ever lived in this world, right? Just satanic. And so if you're a church, remember all these letters are written to churches. If you're a church, a body of people living in a place where there's literally a giant temple set up to this man who you know is a sick person, what do you do? Right? What, what, how does that change your ministry? Right? So kind of go there with me to this place that uh, Satan is alive and well uh, amongst the, the residents of this town. Second thing I want you to see is there's a large Jewish population in that town. So, so you would think that the synagogue being present there would have some impact upon the community. That was the original idea behind uh, Judaism, right? God selected Israel, called Israel to be his people. He says, I'm going to ask you to be a light to the Gentiles, to bring people to me. And so what should be happening is, in the name, in the name of, of, of God, right, communities should be being impacted. That's not happening. Why? Well, because the church has become impotent. In fact, it's become a part of the culture there. And so in comes the, the, the Christians, in comes those who belong to Jesus Christ, and they have a rather significant job uh, to, to try to impact a culture that is literally satanic. And you, you start to pick that, that up pretty quick when you read um, these words. Let's go to the text. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write the words of the first and the last who died and who has come to life. Okay? So one of the things that we're noticing about all these letters is they're written by John, right? That gets the attention of the pastor. But John is very quick to indicate at the beginning of all these letters, I'm actually not the author. The words that you're going to hear don't come from me. They, they come through me, right? And these are the words of Jesus Christ to you, those who are the church in, in Smyrna. The way I like to picture this is once those scrolls came out of Patmos and they got into the homes of uh, these house churches, okay? Um, remember, you, you might have... 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 house churches in a region. You would have one person who would be acting somewhat like what we would call a bishop. Okay? So it would not be unlikely that the, the bishop would call together the pastors in a region. And when these letters were received, they were probably first read aloud in a public setting. Okay? So that you would have the gathering of the churches, you would have the scroll open up, and now I begin reading it to you. And the first words out of my mouth are always, Here's, here is a scroll from John who is indicating this is what Jesus Christ has to say to us. Okay? In all of these letters, you're going to find they have a pattern to them, right? We're commending or lifting up those things that the church should be doing. But we're also saying to the church, there are some things lacking in you. And what I'm, what I'm saying to us as we read through Revelation is don't treat it just like some Bible study you're going to. But let it come into you personally. Ask yourself some questions. How am I living? Am I living the way God's called me to? If, if Jesus wrote your family a letter today and you had to open it up and it said, this is Jesus to you, what would he commendate? What would he say? These are things that are, that are going on in your home your church, that I want to lift up and say this is good. 
But then ask yourself this question, what would he say? Here are some things that, are, that need to be addressed, right? There's a rebuke to it. The rebuke is not to just make us feel bad. The rebuke is to what? To cause us to say, all right, guess what? I, I have. I've kind of moved away from what God's called us to be. So receive it that way into your own homes. As a body, one of my great hopes is that, that we take these letters and we allow them to speak into us. As, as we look at Grand Island, I have not seen any great temples to Tiberias, but guess what? Let me ask you this question. Is Satan alive and well in this city? I, I haven't been here that long. I'm seeing him in a lot of, in a lot of ways. I'm seeing him. Deceiving, doing what he does best. So as a body, the, the church should, bam, impact community, right? And so that's the question that we're asking as we look at these letters is how, how, how are we doing? You know, what, is, what would Jesus say to us if he's writing this letter to us? Okay, go to verse number nine. First thing he says to him is, and this is kind of the commendation side of things, I know your tribulation and your poverty. I know your tribulation and your poverty. Okay, well, why is that important? I know your tribulation. Just a side note for you, but keep it in your mind. Most, most of the time you read a book about Revelation or you watch a movie about Revelation, they'll talk about the tribulation. Okay? When they talk about the tribulation, when is it supposed to happen? Now or in the future? Future, right? Um, there are various theories on when the tribulation begins, but almost all of evangelical Christianity will say, here's what's going to happen. We're going to have this great rapture. <laughs> Get sucked up off of the earth, all the Christians do. We used to practice that, by the way. We actually did. We had rapture practice at Concordia when I was going there. We would all like jump in the... <laughs> One then, right? So there's going to be this rapture. <laughs> Everybody gets sucked up off the earth. Little babies come sucked out of their mamas. The little kids sucked up. All the Christians sucked up. You know, just pray you're not in an airplane with an atheist flying the thing because you're gonna, you're dead, right? So that's that's kind of what they do, and they go, well, now once we're off the ground and we're up there, we're good and safe. Now the tribulation going to begin. You know what? You're not reading the book. John consistently says tribulation that's going on while he's writing these letters, and there was a tribulation going on in Smyrna. Because the culture was satanic. And just like I put these numbers up on the board to say to you that in our culture today, Satan is alive and well and at work. He was alive and at well at work. And what he wanted to do was cut off the head of Christianity in, in Smyrna. And so what's happening is the tribulation that's going on in Smyrna is one where people, Christians, are are being persecuted, particularly in a way that affected them economically. Okay? So we know this about persecution. There are places where persecution meant death, physical death, right? There are other places where persecution meant placing a breadwinner into prison. In other words, I would just come and take you out of your home, put you in prison, good luck, mom and kids, right? There are other places where that, that um, persecution was so economic in nature that the Christians had to come together, as we see in the book of Acts, many of them who had possessions would do what they'd sell those possessions in order to do what? To take care of the 
those who were in need. Why are they in need? Well, because they're being divested of their jobs. And so you have this economic poverty that's sitting upon those who are followers of Jesus Christ in Smyrna. Okay? Um, I love this little parenthetical comment where Jesus is saying to, to the people in Smyrna, I know you're going through that tribulation. And I know that you're going through poverty. But guess what you actually are? Rich. So, theme for us. In our lives, there are things that are going to happen that we don't like. Hardships. Okay? Um, just, had, just had a phone call this week. You know, beautiful lady in my life. Uh, walked into her, her home this week. Her husband's dead heart attack. Okay. She is asking all the kinds of questions that all of us ask. Why? You know, he just retired. I'm just getting ready to retire. We had all these plans. We're going to go do these things. What was God thinking? We have significant things that happen to us in life. And we ask why? What's going on here? What, what, what you need to know is when tribulation happens, it can't happen outside of the authorization of, of Jesus Christ. It can't. All right, so he is, is he aware of it? Absolutely. Did he authorize it? Yes. So he's authorized Satan, actually, and his agents, his antichristoi, as we looked at last week, to actually go out and they create this, these problems for Christians. And as Christians, we're, we're kind of the ones back here going, well, just stop it. God just go, bam, and smash those people. No. God says, here's what I want you to see is actually I'm taking what's going on in these people's lives and they are, I'm making them rich. Rich how? They don't have money. But what do they have? They have something that no one on earth can take away. They have relationship with Jesus Christ. And in that, inside of that relationship, they have come to a place. If you're living in Smyrna and you're a Christian, you've come to a place where you're able to say to yourself, you cannot take away the thing that means the most to me. You can put me in jail. You can take away my job. You can take away um, most everything that I own, but you can't take away this beautiful relationship. Here's what I know. If I die tomorrow, I know where I'll be. And I know where God is taking me. And that, that is what it means to be rich. And it hasn't changed to this very day. If Jesus Christ is commendating the church, what he's saying is, you've discovered what it means to be rich, to know that the world and even my greatest opponent cannot take away from you the thing that matters the most, and that's our relationship, and that is the richness of a relationship that will endure for eternity. And so he's commending them for that. He's saying, that's, that's something that you're doing well. He goes on and say, and this is kind of interesting. He says, you're, you're, you're also enduring the slander of those who say that they are Jews and they are not. But they are a synagogue of Satan. Very, very interesting to me. All right, so in Smyrna, we've got the big Tiberius temple on the hill. But we also have all these synagogues. And if I'm a Christian, who, who's persecuting me? Not only Rome, right, where I lose my job or my income, but the church is persecuting me. Why? Well, because they're literally called a synagogue 
of Satan. I'm going to do just a couple of things here because I think it's, I think it's worth the time. Um, he says, you're, you're receiving the slander, and actually the word in the Greek is the blasphemy. I, I think that's significant. You're receiving the blasphemy of those who are saying they're Jews and they are not. Well, what does that mean? Why does he put it like that? Okay, kind of watch this. A lot of, um, a lot of end time literature, Revelation literature, takes the Jews and treats them in a pretty significant way. Okay. A lot of evangelicals believe that when the end comes, that the Jews, all of the Jews, will be saved because they're God's chosen people. Now, when people say that, they're talking physically. In other words, uh, if I'm an evangelical, we get the, the tribulation, we get the, the um, rapture, we get sucked up off the earth, we have the tribulation, then we have Jesus who comes again, and then we have the restoration of all the Jews. And, in fact, most, most um, revelation uh, kinds of, of literature will suggest that one of the signs that the end is near or, or imminent will be the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. Right? That's not, that's not new to you, right? Okay. When you go back and you study history, one of the fascinating things is over the course of history, that dome of the rock, that's Islamic today, has often been what? A temple for the Jews. Back and forth, back and forth, from the Jews, you know, to the Islamics, from the Islamics to the Jews. Battles that have gone on so much so that uh, when you go into to Israel and into Jerusalem specifically, you'll see a lot of English influence. From when? From back, what, in the 17th and 18th century, when a lot of folks from England moved into Jerusalem, set up shops and businesses with the intention of actually quickening or hastening the rebuilding of the temple so that Jesus could come, right? When I drive down the highway in North Dallas, there's a big billboard that has at least has stayed up all the years I lived there that points to Israel. Why? Well, because living in America today are a lot of folks who believe, guess what? The Jews are the chosen race, and therefore God is going to restore the Jews. Now, this is interesting to me because the language that's being used here indicates something different. What does he say? You're enduring the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews, but they're not. They're actually a synagogue of Satan. So that one of the most prominent questions that I think you have to answer when you, when you study Revelation and the place of the Jews in history, in all of history, is the question of what does it mean for a God to choose a group of people, Israel, Jews, and to say, you are my chosen instrument to bring people to know me. What does that mean? And is it in fact true that at the very end of time, God is just going to, boom, save all the Jews. Is that true? Answer, where do I find it? Clearest answer in the book is in the book of Romans, chapter 9. Flip over there with me. Very interesting stuff. Paul addresses this very problem that they're experiencing in Smyrna. 
the Jews are saying to the Christians, we're the chosen ones, you're not, all right? And so as much as Rome will persecute you, we will join in that persecution of you as well because you are the illegitimate uh, sons of, of God. We're illegitimate. Here's what Paul had to say about that. Go to, go to chapter 9. I'm just going to read through a part of this, but just, just kind of follow along with me. Paul, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Now, these next words, if you don't have them underlined in your Bible, underline them now because they are some of the most significant words in the New Testament. Here's what Paul says. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Okay. I think it's one of the most significant things that Paul ever said. What is he saying? Put it in plain language. Paul is looking at Jews, and he's saying this. You're my flesh and blood. I'm one of you. He's saying, I, I have over you, I have an anguish that won't stop. And here's what I wish. I wish that I myself, St. Paul, could go to hell if it would mean you went to heaven. I, I don't know if you can get more significant than that. To me, very humbling to think about, are there people in our city today that you and I would look at as a body of Christ and say, you know what, we, we, you talk about a sense, of, a sense of mission and urgency. Think about what it would mean to say to people living in this community, we would give up our salvation if it would mean you could have salvation. Pretty significant, right? He doesn't hate the Jews. He loves them, but he's anguishing over them. Why? they're not Israel. Keep reading. Here's what he says. Verse 4, they are Israelites. And here's what belongs to them. Just kind of count it off. The adoption. Right? Israel was adopted by God. Chosen by him. To become the instrument through which he would try to call nations to himself. The glory. Now glory means what? The presence of God. What did Israel have? Israel had the Ark of the Covenant. And so they literally had amongst them the presence of God. When they built their temples, it wasn't like, hey, just come to this church. They said, no, God is present in here in the midst of this church in the Holy of Holies. He's saying, yes, you did. You had that. You had the glory, the presence of God. Number three, the covenants. God made covenants with Israel. Right? Significant. To them, the physical Israelites, these covenants belonged. Number, number four, the giving of the law. You received this beautiful thing from God. It's called the law. What is the law intended to do? To draw me close to Jesus Christ. The law is all about Jesus, right? When it comes down from the hill, here comes the word into the community. Live, live out my word and you will find joy in Jesus Christ. You had that. The worship. The whole heartbeat of Israel was about what? Worshiping God. The promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from the race according to the flesh is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now, what Paul is doing, he's saying, listen, Israel, you've received all of these things from God, and I recognize that. Verse number six, but. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. Very significant. Catch this, please. For not all who are descended from Israel 
belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring physically. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means, man, get this right, or you, you kind of miss uh, an element of the revelation. He says, this means that it is not, not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. When you take Romans 9 and you look at it in the whole context of Romans, you, you can't walk away with that without recognizing who Israel is. Israel, the Jews have always wanted to be about a physical race, physical bloodline. What Paul is saying is no. If you go back all the way to when God adopted Israel as his own, not all those who were physically Israel were Israel. Why? Because there's many amongst the Israelites who did what? They rejected God. Israel is a body of people who, guess what? In faith, trust the Messiah. So it's very right for you and I to come into this room today and for me to say to you, are you Israelites? Absolutely. Why? According to the promises first made when they were adopted, that Israel is not a physical bloodline, but what? A spiritual bloodline. It is that body of people on planet Earth who place their trust today in Jesus Christ. Okay, so why is that significant? Well, you kind of come back to all these studies that are going on in the book of Revelation, and people want all the Jews, the physical Jews, to be saved at the end of time. Will they be? No. There's no, no promise of that. In fact, oppositely, very consistently throughout the entire New Testament, there is only one criteria by which you are saved. What is it? You must have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most of what's being said, this rapture deal, get the tribulation, get to have this second chance come back, the Jews are all going to be converted, it's not in the Bible. It's not there. In fact, the opposite is there, is a picture of individuals, all of us, who have what? A life to live. And it's during that lifetime that God gives us the opportunity to come to, to know him as his Savior. When we die, we, our souls, heaven or hell, to await what? The judgment that will come at the second return. And at that second return, there is the judgment and there is not in the Bible this idea that, whoops, now everybody gets a second chance and we're going to try to figure it out again because, man, we blew it the first time around. It's just not in the Bible. Right? So I think it's significant when you look at Smyrna to recognize that uh, what, what uh, John is, is saying to the church there is you have this large Jewish population and they're claiming to be what? We're the covenant people. We have the promise. We're Israel. And what he's saying is, no, you're actually not Israel because you've rejected the Messiah. And so the job of the church, if I'm living in Smyrna, is to do what? Is to actually go into those synagogues and to help people see, you know what? You, you cannot reject Messiah. He is the only hope for your salvation. And so if I'm living in the church in Smyrna, I may be poor. I may have lost my job. I may have some, some people that are in my family that are in prison. But my richness is this. What I have is confidence in the promise of Jesus Christ. And I don't hate the Jews. In fact, I don't even hate the Tiberiuses. My hope is for them to come to know Jesus Christ. 
And so he's saying, church, go out and impact that culture that you live in. I think it's significant to, to recognize that when he talks about this Jewish synagogue, he literally calls it a synagogue of Satan. Stop with me for just a minute. Last week we took on a word. Antichrist. Right? Um, what I showed you in uh, the epistles of 1 John is that that word Antichrist is used both in the singular and in the plural. What I tried to show you last week is that when you talk about the Antichrist, uh, it's used in the immediate and in the future. In the immediate sense, what Revelation and John tell us consistently is we are living right now in a time where there are many Antichrists at work. What's an Antichrist? Antichrist is any body, organization, political or otherwise, that is being used by Satan to deceive people, to take them away from trusting in Jesus Christ. Okay? When we get to the four horses of the Revelation, and we shall, okay? to me, one of the worst of those four horses, probably one of the worst Antichrists on planet Earth today, is, guess what? The church. Not the church that believes in Jesus Christ and teaches his word. But the church that does what? Proclaims to teach his word when in fact they teach another gospel. Martin Luther, 1500s. Why did he give his life to something we call the Reformation? Because he said, here's what's happened to the church. The church has stopped teaching that you are saved by grace alone through faith in Jesus Christ. We've stopped teaching that. We've made it about our works. Today, what I believe is the same thing that was happening in Smyrna. We could say over and over again, whenever you have a church that is trying to speak into a culture and say, we're the way, come follow us. We got the answers. Okay. And in fact, they're leading you even subtly away from soul reliance upon Jesus Christ. Then you have an antichrist at work. So much so that in this particular case, John, Jesus, literally says, here's what that is. That is a synagogue of Satan. Okay? Now I'm going to say something funny here that I'll be serious. Um, funny side of things. Got a friend in Lincoln. Right? So he's an investor. He likes to build, build up, you know, homes and that kind of stuff. So he, he buys all these properties. So one, one time he goes through this kind of economic time where the banks start getting nervous. And one bank in particular was giving him a lot of trouble, right? And so he asked me some advice. He says, what would you do? You know, I've got this bank, and they're giving me all this trouble. I said, I said oh, that's easy. I said, see that billboard that's right beside that bank? Rent it. Like, really? I said, yep, rent it. Put a big picture of the devil on it and say, Satan banks here. <laughs> <laughs> You'd probably get sued for that. I imagine you would get sued for that. But if you think about it, what's really hard for us to imagine is looking at a church and what would you, what would you say if you saw a billboard in front of a church that says, Satan worships here? Okay. What? Not in the church. Now listen to me. Some of the worst antichristoi in the world are right here. They are synagogues of Satan. So the, the question that I think a church always is, has to ask itself is, are we in fact delivering the message of Jesus Christ and him alone, or 
is there some sense in which the church moves into a place where, hey, I want people to feel good about their lives. And let me tell you, there's a ton of churches that I can get up and go to today where I'm going to feel really good about my life. But you know what? Jesus Christ, he's like a sidebar, right? There's a lot of churches out there where I can be made to feel bad about my life. You know why? Because they're obedience theology. You're not obeying right. You're not doing it right. You're not healed because you didn't do this. You're, not, you're, you're experiencing these troubles because of this. You know what? Take me away from Jesus Christ. So the question you're constantly asking is, how do you, how do you proclaim Jesus Christ and him alone? And, and I think that's really the point here of this commendation is, you're, you're a church in Smyrna, and you're being slandered, blasphemed by these folks who say, yeah, we're Israel, and they're not. And you're standing up for what is the actual word of God and delivering that into people's lives. Okay, so he now gives them this encouragement in verse number 10. Do not fear, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Okay. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Okay. So if I'm in the church in Smyrna, I'm already experiencing tribulation, philipsis, right? That's happening in my life. But guess what? It's getting ready to be ramped up, even as this letter is being written. And the way that John poses it, he's saying, you, you got to know that as bad as it is now, it's going to get worse. Because Satan, now it won't, it's not like the devil in a red suit comes out and throws you in jail, right? No. But his instruments. Typically, the Jews would do what? How did they do it? How did I get you in prison? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and I'm a Jew, and I'm against you, because I'm the chosen one, how do I get you a Christian in jail? The Jews would work with what? With Rome. And the Jews would go to the Roman officials, and they would work out deals. Most of the leaders of these synagogues, guess how they got their leadership? They greased the palms of the Roman officials. They bought their way into leadership. Okay. So that, that ambiotic relationship between Rome and the Jews was such that the Jews would go uh, to the Romans and they'd say, look, these guys are big trouble. They're going to cause trouble in the city. You don't want them. They're going to start They're going to start speaking against you. And, and guess what? We need to put them in jail. So when it says Satan is about to put some of you under tribulation, it's, it's not a new tribulation. It's just a heightened tribulation that's getting ready to happen. He'll do it, Satan will do it, through agencies that he works through, right? So the people in the world never figure it out. People in the world are like, oh, oh my, well, those, they must have done something wrong. They're getting put in jail. No, this is satanic. So I say when you read the Revelation, what you recognize is very few humans on planet Earth actually recognize or realize or give credence to what is actually happening around us all the time. There is a satanic battle by which Satan has a design. I'm going to cut off the head of the church. I will cut off the head of those who follow Jesus Christ. Is it happening in America? Absolutely. Not in Grand Island, certainly. He's at work, all right? So that uh, he's saying, don't be afraid of that. Uh, again, your, rich, your richness in me will see you through that. Now, when he says 10 days, 
10 days. We're not talking about a literal 10 days. Remember, all the numbers in the book of Revelation are symbolic. This is one we haven't really spent a lot of time on, but the number 10 is, is what we would call the perfect number or the Yahweh number. It represents God and his will. And so when I say to you, you are going to be thrown in prison, some of you, for a little while, and some of you will suffer increased tribulation for a 10-day period. What I'm saying to you is a perfect period of time. In other words, God has already determined that there will be a beginning and an end to that period of, of suffering that you're going to go through. There will be an end to it. He has boundaried it. This is good news for us. It really is good news. I mean, don't, don't miss this. When he says, don't be afraid, it's 10 days. It's not literal 10 days. It's however many days God has chosen. But God chose it. So even, let me say it this way. Even though God unleashes Satan and allows him to test you, all right, he boundaries him. He's on a leash. In other words, God is saying, I will allow you to, to, to bring some tribulation into, in, into this home, but... Here's your, here's your leash. I will cut it short. Right? We should rejoice in that because what he's saying to the church in Smyrna is it's going to be tough for you, but God hasn't abandoned you. This testing will actually produce more richness in you and God has boundaried it. In other words, he has not given Satan free reign. All right? um, so you don't have to be afraid of, guess what, of, of what's getting ready to happen. Instead, um, go back to... Um, at the, the close of verse number 10, he says, instead, just do this. Be faithful unto death. So, I think when you read this, what's getting ready to happen in Smyrna is already happening in a number of places. You've had a lot of tribulation that has been economic in its nature. It's getting ready to be heightened. And in Smyrna, in fact, there will be individuals who are now taken out of prison and killed for the sake of the gospel. And all he's saying is, just be faithful unto death and you will receive what? The crown of life. Okay. To me, one of the things that you, you have to stay with all the way throughout Revelation is, it, it's, a, it's a primary theme in the Bible. What, what John is causing us to do is to say this, your life on this earth is short, very short. If you try to think of your life here on this earth as the, the primary thing that God wants you to live out and be happy and you know achieve all your dreams and fulfill all your goals, you're completely missing what life is about. God put every single one of us on this earth for a short period of time. Guess what? To do one thing. God says, I will gift you I will equip you, I will place you, and I will walk with you to bring other people to know me. The whole purpose for our lives here in this world for that is to say, God, I'm yours. How would you use me to bring other people to know Jesus Christ? That's true in marriages. I mean, in our Western culture, we get people married, what do we do? Like, oh, it's going to be getting married, and what are your ideas? What are your dreams? What are, your, what are your hopes? We romanticize it. Oh, it's going to be a romantic thing. You know the whole purpose of marriage? 
whole purpose of marriage is, is to take a, a man and a woman, a stubborn man and a, and a woman, right, and put them in a little box where they can't get away from each other. And they're like this, blah, right? That's marriage, right? And God says, well, and through that process, here's what's going to happen. The woman will strengthen the man who's not good. Because the man, remember when I made him, I looked at him and that's not good. He wants to be God. Guess what he needs? A woman. <laughs> You're not God. Yes, ma'am. I am not God. I got the picture. All right? Stop, please. Okay? No, we're to strengthen one another. For what purpose? Here's the thing that we should be asking. If you're coming in for premarital counseling, you know, we get all these charts and we do all these tests and we're like, how do you communicate? And what's your financial skills going to be? You know, okay, all that's great. It's good. But it's not the main thing. Here's the main thing I want to ask people when they're getting married. How will God use the two of you in his mission to bring other people to know him? Join hands together. How does he want to use you as a couple to bring other people to know him? It's the purpose of marriage. And so Revelation is very consistent with this. Be faithful unto death, and he will give you a crown of l'chai, the Hebrews used to say, life. Zoain, the Greeks would say, life. It's not just physical life. What is it? He will give you an eternity to live with him. When does life really begin? I love to tell people, you know when life will really begin for you? In eternity. Now there's joy. Now there's no more sickness. Now there's no more death. Now there's the presence of God. Look forward to it. It's coming. It's the direction that he's sending us. In this life right here, should I expect that God put me here to be real happy? No. God says, you're here in this place and this time to help bring other people to know me. Just be faithful to the point of death. Then I will give you that crown of life. And then he says, verse number 11, and, and again, these letters always close out with these words. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'm, I'm convinced that a lot of churches never hear, never hear the Word of God. They, they don't. They have an ear for it. Spirit's not there. Let him who has an ear hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. You know what causes me to shut my ears? Pride. I got the answers. History. How dare you talk to us like that? Don't you know who we are? Surrender it all. And when Jesus comes calling, if his words are a word of rebuke, receive them with joy. Thank you, Jesus. Because his entire desire is to have the church, what, strengthened to live out that calling that it has here on planet Earth. The one who Nikes. If you ever bought a pair of those tennis shoes, that's what it means right there, conquers. The one who Nikes will not be hurt by the second death. So you die one time, right? Physically. But there's another death. Spiritual death. It's the second death. The second death is eternity in hell. To the one who overcomes, you will not be hurt by the second death. You will not receive an eternity of hell, but the crown of life where you will live with Jesus Christ forever. To the one who Nikes, who overcomes. How do you overcome? You can't. 
The only way you overcome is you come underneath the one who has. And so we become covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, and it's through his blood exclusively that we become conquerors of death itself so that we have eternal life. What is Jesus saying to the church in Smyrna? You've got work to do. You've got a Jewish population that is actually being controlled by Satan, that is leading people underneath the law, taking away their hope in Jesus Christ. Go out and impact this community. If it means that you're thrown in jail, get thrown in jail. Don't be afraid of it. Because I've made you rich. Rich in a relationship with me. If it costs you your life, don't be afraid of it. Because you will have life forever as one who has overcome in Jesus Christ. Let the one who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.